Uh, my name is Hiro Ikushima. Um, I have been practicing at the San Francisco Zen Center since 2014. Um, just to introduce myself briefly, I'm originally from Japan. I came to the United States, uh, it's been a long time, 27 years or so ago. Um, you know, today's topic is about resistance and acceptance. Um, so it was 2014, I went to Tassajara, but uh, before that I used to live in Virginia. And uh, I used to have a, a nine to five job, just like a lot of you guys. And um, I was a web programmer and I struggled quite a bit. And I started questioning, you know, meaning of life. And so I um, started going to a uh, local Zen group uh, and started going to um, Chapel Hill Zen Center in North Carolina for session and started practicing more seriously. And then I met a couple of Japanese uh, priests um, and they uh, are from that famous lineage uh, of a uh, famous um, Zen master named Kodo Sawaki. And uh, um, there's a temple in Japan that uh, um, uh, they, their lineage is from. And I really wanted to check it out. So, yeah, before I went to Tassahara, I went to Japan and practiced at this temple called Antaiji. And this uh, place was very unique. You know, even in, in Japanese Zen, they're considered unique uh, because they're a self sustaining temple, which means that they have their own. Uh, farm and rice field, and um, their essential practice is really zazen, you know. And what I call them uh, zazen fundamentalists because they know they don't do services, they don't do ceremonies, and they just sit and work during the day. And uh, work was hard, you know, because they have to they grow their own food um, every day. You know, they would spend five six hours on the field, and um, uh, kind of like Gringotts, but it's a little more hardcore. And their zazen too, you know, they still use a stick to, you know, strike your back. Only if you ask for it, and they do that to you. They don't do it randomly. <laughs> um, but then their spirit was very high and strong, you know, and, and it was very international sangha. Um, it was very small, maybe less than 20 people there, but the half of the people from uh, Europe or United States, you know, Western people. They were all over the world. And interestingly, the abbot of the temple was a German, German guy. And, um, but uh, this temple is really um, um, like modeling the old Chinese Zen style. So you would work during the day and grow food so you can sustain yourself and practice. And, and when I, when I got there, you know, I was kind of shocked because I was not used to that kind of work. And, and I was assigned to rice fields sometimes. I was assigned to building uh, uh, stone walls and physically very hard. I, looking back, it's kind of like, yeah, it's almost crazy. Like, how would you let the guest students do that kind of work, right? Um, and the rice field, too, um, it was a backbreaking job, you know. Um, you have to weed underwater, but you can't really sit. You have to kind of hunch over 
because the plant is already growing like knee high. So if you squat, that would you know destroy the plant. So you have to kind of hunch over and and weed and and the temple is very poor. So they would use anything available to their advantage and like fertilizers. You know, if you buy them, that can be expensive. So they would use um, um, sewage, right? Um, and the way they did it was really wild too. You know, um, the water, water pumps, it's like a, a motorized water pumps using the uh, gasoline engine that kind of uh, firefighters would use in mountains, right? Um, they would use that to shoot out the uh, sewage <laughs> and shoot the uh, sewage uh, through the uh, fire hose. And this monk was just shooting this. And, and this, this sewage you know, was not completely processed yet, so it, it uh, smelled so bad and they, they stunk so bad, you know. And they were, they were shooting it all over the rice field like this. And they were looking at him and it's like, I'm so glad I'm not him right now. And, and the whole place smelled like shit, right? And, and, and this rice field now covered with, you know, poopy, gross stuff floating. And we were told to getting in there and work, right? And, and this mud, it is so dense and hard. Every time you step in, um, the boot gets stuck in there and then your feet will come out. And, and, and also the mud is deeper than your boots, so all this water would come into your inside of boots. You know? And I was, and this is what I'm talking about, the resistance, right? And, and I'm like, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I just don't want to do this, right? And, and um, this leader, um, leader figure, she's a, a nun, and now she's a abbess of the temple. Back then, she was the leader of the um, of the monks, and and she was kind of jokingly, but she she was yelling at everyone, you know, stop resisting. The resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. <laughs> um, it was kind of funny, but um, looking back, that was kind of true, you know. And once I kind of gave up my resistance, uh, started doing it. And it was just not one day, it was every day. And I ended up staying there for uh, four months. And, and once you get used to it, it's okay. It actually became more joyful. And to see the rice field you know, growing and becoming more abundant and green, um, you know, I saw this cycle of life, right? You, you, you eat the rice and you, you poop. And, <laughs> and go back to the earth, and, and you eat the rice again. Um, and um, yeah, that was 10 years ago. And this sangha, you know, it was a full of drama too. It's a small sangha and very diverse and international. And so, you know, Western people and Japanese sometimes don't, didn't get along. And I, I, often I was kind of in between. I feel like I was sandwiched <laughs> because I was listening to both ends and they wanted to, you know, talk to me. Um, and there was a person from Europe, you know, uh, who was very critical of the whole temple. It's like, why is this so rigid? Why are they so rigid? Why, you know, Japanese Buddhists, Zen, Zen, so rigid? 
And interestingly, the abbot, who was German, um, he was like, well, who's being rigid here? You know, because we've been doing this for years, and this is normal to us, right? So is it really us being rigid, or is it you? And so what he was doing, basically, is just holding a mirror in front of her, you know, and, and showing the rigidity or, or resistance of the person. And I think that was kind of like an aha moment for the person, and, and something shifted in her. And after that, she um, became much easier to talk to and work with. So, you know, here too, what we do is very simple. You know, maybe it's not that extreme. Um, if you become guest students and, you know, you may be assigned to kitchen or what we call temple care crew, which is uh, basically cleaning. You sweep and mopping, moving stuff. Um, you know, I also was a, um, I, I was a Tenzo, the kitchen manager last year. So, you know, I, ex I got to experience both. And it's really, it's not about what you do. It's really about how you do things. And that's really the essence of practice. And the resistance will inevitably come up, right? Um, if it's a you know, temple, the way it's a sangha, uh, there's a drama. And if you're working with a company, the same thing. You know, um, no matter where you go, uh, drama will happen. And, and our focus is really studying ourselves, right? Um, that's why everything is so simple, and the simplicity helps you to see yourself better. Um, and I think it is safe to say um, that most of our human suffering is self-created, right? It's a lot of suffering, and I'm not talking about, you know, um, illness or, you know, um, something that you can't really control. But most of the times, you, you know, we think so much and we rehearse what happened in the past or we worried about the future, which doesn't really exist, right? Uh, what's true is that uh, we are living in the present moment and what happened in the past only exists in your memory and the future is just your imagination. So in truth, there is no future or past. I think a lot of you are already familiar with this concept of um, essential teaching of Buddhism. And so everyday life in Zen temple, you know, I say what we are doing is holding form and emptiness, right? Form is um, what the society is really focused on, the productivity, right, efficiency, um, gaining something to support your life and to be happy. Um, and then the emptiness part is a deeper realm of um, human life. So, 
through these simple day-to-day -day activities what you, you know, in, in Zen practice, we are not completely focused on productivity. Of course, we have to get things done. We have to cook meals to, to feed people. And that's, of course, important. Um, but another aspect to the practice, which is actually more important, is to be fully present, right? Why is it so important to be present? Like I said, a lot of our suffering is self-generated, right? And, and it helps you to really how the suffering is being created. So first, you have to really learn what's going on in you, what's going on in your mind, um, how the resistance is happening and, and what what would happen because if you because you're resisting, right? And if you can accept uh, whatever you experience in the present moment, a meaning that you're letting go of resistance, then something happens. And that's the kind of a tricky part of this practice, and it's kind of kind of hard to to articulate it, but. Um, our practice is really um, accepting your experience of this present moment to be the way it are, the way it is, without trying to change it. Right? So that's our habit as being human beings. We are constantly trying to manipulate and control the uh, immediate environment to our liking. Right? So our mind is always seeking based on our preferences. We're trying to get what we want. We want to avoid what we don't want. And if you're not really observing your mind, then it's like you're, you're, like you're going supple. And if you get frustrated because you're not getting what you want, and you, even if you get what you want after a while, you're not satisfied anymore. Because that's what the ego does. The ego wants more and more. Um, so sometimes the resistance come up in our practice too, even though what we're doing very simple, right? And for instance, in a kitchen, we say uh, we observe functional speech. Functional speech really means just uh, we don't allow chatting, right? We speak only when we have to. And you know, sometimes people feel this is oppressive. And we want to talk. Right? This reminds me kind of military. <laughs> and I would say, is it true? Right? Simply, you can ask yourself, is it true? What's what is oppressive about it? Like, you're just cutting carrots. Is it really oppressive? <laughs> I mean, are we trying to force you um, to work 12 hours a day? No, that's not true. Um, so yeah, it's not like five stars five-star hotel where, you know, you have to do a perfect job or you get fired. I mean, this is a Zen temple. So if you make mistakes, well, what's really important is, is to experience what happens after making mistakes, right? Usually a sense of embarrassment or regret or anger comes up. And your mind might say, 
oh, my supervisor didn't give me a good instruction, that's why I made a mistake, or oh, that person distracted me, or um, I'm not having a good day, or you might blame yourself and beat yourself up. And this is what happens if you don't observe your mind, right? So, our practice is simply accept the present moment as it is. It's that simple. Um, and if you don't, you lose. You know, if, if you argue with life, you lose. There is no winning. And you might feel victorious sometimes by arguing. <laughs> uh, maybe you are arguing with your friends or you know whatever, and you might feel victorious, but then you didn't really win. Your ego won. And that's not real winning. Actually, you are losing. And by doing this game of gaining, um, you, might, you might get good at it, right? Some people are very smart, and some people, you know, um, good at getting what they want. They know how to play the game of politics. Um, are they really free? You know, are they really happy? I don't think so. So, when you feel resistance, the first, being aware is vital. If you're not aware, then you don't even know that you are unhappy. Right? If you are aware that you are not happy, that's great. That's a, that's a good start. And, you know, most people um, try to cover it up, right, by maybe drinking alcohol or doing drugs or playing video game or watching YouTube, <laughs> whatever, whatever works, right, distract your mind. Because it's difficult when you feel uncomfortable. Our practice is to first notice it, acknowledge it, accept it, and and this is uh, uh, yeah, like I said, it's weird. But if you don't mind being unhappy, what happens to the unhappiness? So when you feel resistance, you simply stop there and feel in your body. You know, if you have a luxury to you know, take a moment, take a break, and um, first you have to know, you have to know what's, ha what's happening in your body. And if you're not unhappy, if you're not happy, um, if you feel strong resistance, just simply acknowledge that and feel the energy in your body and, and be with it. And after a while, or start shrinking, you know. It's not gonna make you instantly happy, you know, but you feel okay with it. It's just like, you know, walking in a shit field, the rice field. <laughs> it was like, okay, all right, this is, this is what's happening. I just do it, it's all right. And after work, I feel good, you know. Yeah.
So the primary factor in your know, spiritual practice, any situation, any, any situation, uh, what really matters is your inner state. Uh, because that really determines how you respond to the world. And this is a, um, actually a good news because you are no longer depending on the external factors to be happy, right? Whatever is happening outside of you, you are not depending on them anymore by controlling them. People do what they do, right? Can you actually let them who they are? It's, I know it's not, it's not easy, it's very difficult. But you can start with the little things, right? And just moment by moment, try to observe your mind. Even seemingly non-important things, like walking down the street, someone look at, look at, look at you, and thoughts come up in your mind. Mm, that person looked at me in a funny way. Uh, the way that person looked at me was kind of condescending. <laughs> you know, that kind of mind says a lot of stuff. And we are believing it, if you don't observe it. So, one way to look at the spiritual practice is not to believe everything you think. Um, because most of the time, we don't even know that we are believing them. And by doing this practice more and more, um, you get a hang of it. You know, first you start with books, maybe, while you listen to Dharma talks, right? And then talk with your friends and in a very safe environment, right? And then you can deepen your understanding conceptual level. And now, the next level is applying that wisdom to your everyday life. And sooner or later, you will encounter challenges, right? And usually, if you're not used to this practice, um, when you are in a state of upset, all this wisdom goes out the window. <laughs> it's very normal, it's very natural. I mean, that's, that's how it is. And, but then the more you do this over and over and over, and you can even review what happened in the past. Oh, that, that time I was so upset. Well, I could have done this. You know, I could have taken a moment and do a mini meditation you know, instead of, instead of, you know, if you, if you don't do this practice, usually mind completely takes over and your mind becomes like a theater, right? And you become the character in the theater and, and try to win the game. Like, oh, I would have said this to that person and so I could win the argument, you know. But if you do this practice of sitting and observe the mind, you don't get caught in that kind of thinking, you step back, right? And you let go. So that's my recommendation. Every day, day to day, even walking down the street, observe your mind, watch your mind telling you, right? If you are riding bicycle to work, you know, okay. Um, a car behind you um, honked the horn, right? Or someone cut you off when you're driving. Um, or at work, maybe you feel like someone was stepping your toes, 
someone's encroaching your territory, uh, someone trying to one-up you. Um, that kind of things happen all the time. And, and the, those little things, if you are aware, uh, become the means of your practice. And when you're having a good time, you really don't need a practice, right? You, don't, you have no problem being happy. But the true practice it really matters these moments of challenges when, you, when you're upset. And you know, when you're really upset, you don't want to practice, right? Um, no, this is not the time to practice. <laughs> um, actually, this is exactly when the practice happens. That's when, the, uh, what's the English, English saying? Like a rubber hits the road. Um, it really, that's when the practice counts. And, and if you actually do that honestly, um, that's when a spiritual growth happens. It could mean a lot of pain. Uh, you might cry. Um, when I was in Tassahara, um, yeah, I had a, a, a lot of those moments. And looking back, that was just, uh, I was meeting myself. I had a strong resistance to um, some people. But then later I realized that was just my misunderstanding, you know. And that was such a, such a rich practice. It's, you know, sometimes uh, so these uh, uh, interpersonal issues can be a really rich practice. Um, that, you know, if you have a courage to engage in a difficult conversation and I mean, there's no guarantee that uh, you know it always works. Um, in my case, uh, it did. And at the end of the day, you know, me and the person both were crying together and hugged each other and just acknowledged our misunderstanding. And that's not always easy, you know. Our ego want to oppose always and try to be right, right? Um, so that's part of the practice to learn how the ego is trying to run, run your life. And, and studying the ego is critical. You know, try to learn how this ego creates a sense of me, sense of self, and constantly try to survive in you by creating stories. And uh, there's nothing, nothing feels better than being right, right? So, and, and, but then if you really engage in zazen practice, when you experience the moments of no thought, there is no longer uh, right or wrong. So that's the kind of thing that I'm, um, I'm trying to guide, you know, students to experience. It's 
our mind is constantly trying to um, trying to get what they want and, and avoid what they don't want. And having preferences, okay, but if you're attached to preferences, that's the identification of the self, of course, it seems. So when you're just sweeping, just simply sweep. There's nothing else to think about, right? And yet the mind is clever enough to come up with some kind of reason to be right and argue with it. Um, yeah, it can be like, um, you know, they would, I'm not talking about my crew that I have right now, they're, they're totally fine, I'm just talking about, you know, over the years, you know, I've met a lot of people and I had a lot of experiences and um, I, I see the pattern, I see the pattern. And, and this is a universal in myself and other people too. And it feels almost like watching the same movie over and over and over. It's just that every time actors are different and different environment. But you know what I'm talking about? Like this, this is the main character going through this story, right? Going through, and, and there's a drama. Um, someone's being right and someone's wrong. And and look back and, and, and why was this so important? You know, and I feel like maybe that this is the kind of feeling I will have at the end of the my life on the deathbed. And it's just not worth it to get caught in that story over and over. You know. Like, why, is it, isn't it strange that, anyway, this is a completely unobserved mind. Um, as usually, this ego is always right and everyone else is wrong, right? And as you do this practice, you start realizing that, isn't it strange that uh, I'm always right and everyone else is wrong? Isn't that strange, right? <laughs> and whoever disagrees with you, uh, they become your enemy. I mean, I'm kind of an extreme way. I'm saying that, um, and that's why it's hard to trust people in politics, right? They um, ultimately they are not interested in being right or wrong. Um, they are interested in being superior and have more power, have more influence, and so they're using these tactics, making other people wrong to make themselves look right. And, you know, when we talk about politicians, oh, they are, they, are, they are different people. But then that core of the ego exists in all of us, really. And first you have to admit it, you know, and start from there and then be completely honest with yourself. And to me, that was the way seeking mind. I wanted to end my ego so that I can be free. Um, it's easier said than done, of course. It's, it's very tricky, the ego. Yeah.
So I went to Tassajara, and I was so determined. And I was like, okay, I'm going to let my ego by giving up my opinions, and um, I'm going to just say yes to whatever I'm asked to do, right? And then, next thing you know, I was trying to be a good monk. And by creating the image of a good monk, I was making other people bad monks. <laughs> that was being judgmental, right? And when you are judgmental towards other people, you are judgmental towards yourself too. And I was very much suffering. Um, and then I woke up and I go, oh, I step back now. And, and coming here, I feel much more balanced. Um, Tassahara offers a very monastic, tight container of practice and a very strict, much more strict. And the schedule is tight and it's uh, more difficult. Here, it's um, more generous to, you know, and it's very, gate is wide to all kinds of people. Um, so I feel like it's a, it's a good balancing act. <laughs>